Now let's have God's Word open us up to Acts chapter 2, and we'll read verses 40 down to 47. Please rise as we read God's Word together. This is the reading of God's holy Word, and with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, church, uh, and so it is, as it has always been, only more so now, from seed to sprout, seedling to sapling, many have planted and many have watered, but we praise God for bringing the growth. Eternal Life Mission Church, we don't simply move forward in the coming days, simply by looking back at our own legacy or history, but we move forward, looking back to the germination of the first church of Christ, we take our lessons, our instructions, our confidence, not in our name or the name of qualified men, but we move forward, looking at the history of the church and what God has done in Christ by the power of His Spirit through imperfect men and women, through rebels and harlots, through fig trees and donkeys. If God can use Balaam's ASS to accomplish his work, then he can definitely use mine and he surely can use yours. If we move through Acts, we see that what they are going through in some ways has always been, but more so now, And this is carried throughout history as the bride of Christ has grown and grown and grown. Yet we got to pause and realize that this growth came through the Spirit while the disciples were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. Again, it's not through powerful and charismatic preaching or leaders. Last week we looked at the first sermon. Perhaps to what we are used to, it lacked media, it lacked funny illustration and humor and wit. It was straightforward, it was gospel-driven, it was theological, it was expounding of the Old Testament. But we're told so many people came and believed and were added to the number. 
It's not through technological advancements or media. It's not through more sub-ministries or projects or events. It's through the Word of God that leads us to a common life where we share in communion and prayers. They, these things are in the foreground as we look at the painting of the early church. Ludwig Bellemans, most famously known for his children's book series, Madeline, wrote in one of his other books, When You Lunch with the Emperor, this. He said, like the pages of a children's book, the days were turned and looked at, and the most important objects in this book were the sun, the moon, and the stars people, flowers, and trees. So it remains, as we turn the pages with childlike faith, we focus on the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. This is what is at the core value of the church. And so if you take away all the bells and whistles and you find that there isn't anything left, let me know that it was just bells and whistles. Verse 42 tells us that they devoted themselves. They persisted, they persevered, they pursued, they gave themselves to these things. It didn't come easily, it didn't come naturally. It required a devotion. It wasn't a hobby, it wasn't a once a week gathering, it wasn't tradition or ritual or ceremony. It was a devotion and the way of life. The Father sends, the Son equips, the Spirit empowers, and we see here the disciples devoted. But today, instead of simply saying that this is what we have to do now, this is what we have to focus on as the church and individuals because that's what the disciples did, I'd rather us focus on how Jesus himself first modeled these things and why. We'll see that in, in, in Jesus' earthly ministry and even after the resurrection, he devoted himself to these things. So first, the apostles' teaching, which we can understand to be broadly the word of God, scripture, teachings of Jesus. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he did so many things, so many miracles, casting out demons, Miraculous healings, feeding of masses. However, these were all done for the sole purpose of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. If you look in Luke 4, this is what it says. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So every miracle, exorcism, healings, feedings were to illustrate the power of the good news of God's kingdom, which Jesus came to accomplish. Yet devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God, doesn't simply mean we schedule in more quiet times or devotions in our schedule and Google Calendar. It doesn't simply mean that we have more alerts and accountabilities. It doesn't simply mean we endeavor to just learn more theology and doctrine and read TGC articles or even go to seminary. Look what Jesus says in John 5. He says this, You search the Scriptures... 
Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. No wonder reading our Bibles oftentimes is such a chore. No wonder it's so boring and lifeless and a grudging discipline. It's perhaps because we often forget that it's not simply just reading our Bibles, but in so doing, being brought to Christ Himself, the Word made flesh. So then studying our Bibles, doing devotions, listening to sermon, going to Bible studies, is not simply so that we would learn more knowledge about Him simply, but that we would come to Him for eternal life. And for those of you who already have it in Christ, that we would come to Him daily for renewal, revival, and daily bread. The disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because it contained in them not just, not just knowledge or theology, but it contained in them by the Word, the Word that was made flesh, Jesus the Lord and Savior. So friends, brothers and sisters, when we spend our time in QT or devotions, when we talk about reading God's Word, we have to remember it's not just for the sake of checking off a quiet time, but it's so that by the Word we will be brought to Jesus' feet. So if you've lost your way, feel far or distant, dry and brittle, we turn to God's Word and devote ourselves once more to the apostles' teaching, not because, again, not because the simple act of reading our Bibles or sitting under preaching or enduring through community groups in and of itself has some miraculous power. But we do so because it points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. So we see even after being raised from the dead, Jesus continues to teach his word. Acts 1-3, if you remember from a few weeks ago, after being raised from the dead, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus came proclaiming the good news. He died to accomplish the good news. He was raised from the dead only to continue to proclaim now this good news. That's hardcore. Some of you are familiar with the story of John Calvin after returning from three years of exile to Geneva, returns to his post behind the pulpit simply to pick up where he left off in the Psalms before he was expelled. That's our core. See, Jesus not only in his earthly ministry taught and expounded the scriptures and told his disciples how it all points to them, but even after he was raised from the dead, continues to proclaim this news that has efficacy because that's the whole reason he came. This is why the disciples in the early church devoted themselves to the Scriptures. It's not white-knuckled piety or mindless spiritual disciplines, but devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching simply means we sit at Jesus' feet. So the Apostle Paul 
encourages and exhorts in 1 Timothy, if you look, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. We see Jesus also devoted himself to fellowship, a common life, koinonia. We know that Jesus was a carpenter from a small town, lower social standing, but he shared a common life with fishermen, prostitutes, tax collectors, wealthy people, poor people, children, men, women, young people, older people, natives of his own hometown and land, foreigners in Samaria, people with different ethnicity, people with different cultures. He never said, I can't relate to them, or I'm in a different life stage. He didn't say, I experienced something completely different growing up, that I have different hobbies or interests. He didn't say, man, I'm from heaven. These guys are just earthlings. No, he shared a common life, a fellowship, a life journeying together, a koinonia in light of the kingdom of God. That's why we see in today's text, Acts 2, if you look again, verse 44 to 45, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Devoting ourselves to fellowship, to common life, to coin and air doesn't mean that we have to be everybody's friends. It doesn't mean that we have to meet up with every single person. This isn't supposed to be some daunting, guilt-driven task of, hey, you better make sure you buy everybody lunch by the end of the year or meet with them or know all their intimate struggles. It's not, it's not saying that. But it is saying that when the opportunity arises, when you cross paths or perhaps even intentionally cross paths with those in the church, even though they may be strangers, that you do so with the heart and willingness to share your life in common with them as if they were family, as if they were from the same tribe, community, and bloodline. We're told that if someone needs something, that, that they, they sold things so that, that the, with those proceeds, they would fill the needs of others. If someone needs something, there was a willingness to do this. Now, I want to be really clear here. This isn't just an encouragement or challenge to wealthy people. This isn't targeted to the rich people of the church who have a lot. But we're told that people were selling their own possessions and belongings to distribute those proceeds to anyone who had need. If, if, if this was simply talking of those who had plenty, the rich or wealthy, then they wouldn't need to sell their possessions to fill the needs of others. They would write a check. It would be simple donation, no skin off their back. But that's not the case here. The shared common life isn't simply sustained by the few who have a lot, although those who the Lord blessed with plenty, we hope that you would also be challenged to share. But, but I, I want to broaden this to the whole church because we see a picture here of a sharing of common life with all. So if, if someone didn't have something and they needed it, 
then it wouldn't just be the wealthy who step up. It would be anyone who was part of that household of faith saying, I don't have that much either, but I can sell this and use these proceeds to help you for X, Y, and Z. As it benefits the church, as it benefits the kingdom, as it advances the gospel, as it meets your need as a member of the church. So college students, young adults, stop saying when I get money or when I get a job, I'm going to serve the church and give to the church. Put some of your stuff on eBay. I'm just kidding. You know, I better stop. Oh, I hear the sound of live streams turning off right now. I better move on. But the point is, sharing a common life doesn't simply mean that those who have plenty or wealthy are just trickling it down. It means there is a common life, rich or poor, plenty or want, to share together in Christ as a community. So moving on, breaking of bread, we see that this this type of common life, living fellowship also leads more intimately now to the breaking of bread, broadly speaking, but also more narrow, even the Lord's Supper. That community also leads to communion. We see there are so many occasions when we find Jesus eating and breaking bread with People, can you imagine the amount of reimbursement slips he had to put in to the Father? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Let me give you a few examples here. At Matthew's house, with all the other tax collectors and sinners, Jesus sits and eats bread, and there he teaches about mercy and calls sinners to repentance. In the grain fields of the harvest, with his disciples on the Sabbath day, he teaches about kingdom work and kingdom rest. At Simon's house, we see a sinful woman who in faith comes, pours out her alabaster flask of ointment to clean Jesus' feet, and he forgives her sin. In the sister's house of Mary and Martha, we see that Jesus teaches the balance between serving and sitting. In the home of a chief Pharisee, we see he teaches about the wedding feast and the great banquet of heaven. On the mountains by the sea of Tiberias, we see Jesus refusing to send hungry people home, but challenges his disciples in faith, and they end up feeding over 5,000 people as he offers himself as the bread of life. At the Last Supper, Jesus sits at the table with his disciples as he tells them that this wine represents the blood that he will shed for them and this bread represents the body that he will have broken for them. And even by the sea after his resurrection where he calls his disciples once more to come and have breakfast, It's got to be one of the most encouraging text messages the disciples had that morning. Jesus, come and have breakfast. So that he can teach them to feed his sheep. Friends, the list can go on. So in Acts 2, in today's text, we see, if you look with me, and day by day, attending the temple together, 
worshiping together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the breaking of bread doesn't simply mean that they ate together, but it can be understood they also took communion together in worship settings. They found themselves at the table for both common occasions and sacred occasions. So friends, when we come to the table, when we sit at the table, we learn more about Jesus. When we break bread, we learn more about Jesus. When we linger after the meal is done and have conversations and laugh and cry, we learn more about Jesus. And lastly, prayers, broadly speaking, including worship as a whole. Referring to prayers as it refers to worship as a whole, this means that prayer isn't just a part of worship, but praying itself is an act of worship. Jesus prays, and he teaches his disciples to pray. We see that from Jesus' ministry, that long days of ministry, of preaching and teaching and shepherding and feeding and walking and sitting and living with people are always seasoned with prayer. Friends, should the joy of serving and carrying your cross ever fade, may prayer season you back to heavenly flavors. Prayer gives us a taste of home. Prayer washes the bitterness away. Prayer fills the cup. Prayer draws us near. Prayer softens and heals, and prayer also hardens and refines the zeal. Prayer brings us into worship. Prayer takes us to the feet of Jesus, to the throne room of grace, in the presence of the great counselor. Prayer, as we worship, as prayer is worship, again, brings us to the feet of Jesus. And we remember, I hope, it was only a few weeks ago, what Jesus taught us when he said, Lord, teach us to pray. This is what he says, right, to us in Matthew 6. If you look, it says, pray then like this. Our Father. Our Father, we come to you as a people who share a common life and deep fellowship. Father, we come to you who are in heaven, who is able, but also willing to hear your children. Holy be your name in my heart, in the hearts of my brothers and sisters all around, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, all of us, not just me, give us this day our daily bread so that we may break it together and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as they devoted themselves to these things, we're told in our text today that all 
and fear and reverence came upon them, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is what we see the early church devote themselves to because this is what Jesus devoted himself to. And by God's Spirit, the church grew and matured and multiplied. And so, ELM Church, here we are now. And I'll conclude the simple question in light of this. How then do you think we should proceed? Let's continue in our worship as we go to the Lord in a time of prayer so that we may see him more clearly in the scriptures. Feel him more near at our tables. Walk and not grow weary as we share a common life in him.